That was really weak. Happy Sabbath? Happy Sabbath. My name is Moise, president of GYC, and I'm here today to uh, tell you about GYC Beyond. How many of you have heard of GYC Beyond? A few of you. Let me tell you why GYC Beyond is something that you want to know about. You know, GYC Beyond came from an idea and a vision that we wanted to experience mission 365 days in a year. We remember when we go, some of you who have been to GYC, when you go to GYC, it is a blessing. You have awesome speakers, you have great seminars, you have great friends that believe just like you or different things like that. But once GYC ends, so to speak, the event, and you might be go back to your local church where you might be one of the few young people, you might go to your university or your public campus where you're one of the few Seventh-day Adventists, or you might go back to your workplace and where most of the people that you're working with don't believe the same as you do, it can be hard to keep that fire going. So we said, why don't we create GYC Beyond where we bring some of the best talents, people who are actually doing mission all year long in all of those circles of influence and record things, have podcasts, have seminars, training young people how to share their faith all year long. So we decided to do GYC Beyond. But something else that GYC Beyond as well focuses on is that it focuses not only on training but inspiring Helping young people not lose that fire that they catch at revival events and different things like that. And have the tools to reach other people around them. You know, Jesus gave us a great commission, not a great option. And if we want to be about our father's business, then we have to be rightly trained. And I want to encourage you to tune in into GYC Beyond. You're going to hear many talks about different things that we can do to be involved in the Seventh-day Adventist in the church and to do several things that we can do in our areas of influence to win souls. Now, as you hear about GYC Beyond, I, I don't want you to think about this as just another program because GYC Beyond is you. God has called you. To be the salt of the earth. And I want to tell you a quote here. That something that we need. Today we need a revelation of the love of God. When this love fills our heart. Our infatuation with sin. Will be broken. Our doubts and our fears will be swept away. Our world may be filled with the shadow of sin. But in the light of the cross. We See that no matter how far we have fallen, God's grace reaches deeper still. This love is what compels us, drives us, and moves us. And this is why GYC belong beyond exists. So that you and I can finish the work in this generation. On March 17 of this year, Seventh-day Adventist young people from across the North Pacific Union participated with youth all over the world in Global Youth Day. This year, GYC Northwest worked to organize 11 groups across the Northwest. In Washington, Spokane, Walla Walla, Moses Lake, and Goldendale. In Oregon, Salem, 
Eugene, Dallas, and Lebanon, in Idaho, Lewiston, and Nampa, and Wardner, British Columbia. Over 150 young people participated in various forms of outreach, collecting food for the hungry, distributing food and care packets to the homeless, passing out glow and other literature, praying with people, and singing and sharing with the sick and elderly. With prayers and energy in sunshine and rain, these young people set out to go beyond for Christ in their local communities, seeking to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those in need, and following the admonition to be the Son. saw a minute ago was a small glimpse of what happened across the northwest last sabbath we had 150 young people participated in global youth day and up here i have a small remnant of those 150 that were able to be here Um, and we're just going to have them share a little bit of uh, what happened in their Region, we uh, GYC Northwest organized 11 groups across the Northwest, and I have uh, most of my leaders here, and they're going to just share what area they worked in and what God did last Sabbath. So first, uh, we work. My group worked in Lewiston, and we did a food drive, and we had about 20 per- participants, and. Um, For our food drive effort, we brought in 563 pounds of food and $15, which equals 614 meals for hungry people. And at every door, practically every door, we sent out glow tracks. In the Walla Walla area, we had 40 young people participating. We had two different outreaches. We did a food drive, and then we did a Vespers for the people at the local Christian Aid Center that we gathered the food for. And we collected 658 items of food and distributed 1,000 glow. In the Willamette Valley, ranging down from Salem, Oregon to Eugene, I had a total of five events going on Global Youth Day. And we got the academy involved, and 20 students came out from that. We put together about 75 toiletry kits for the homeless, passed those out in Oregon's capital. And the Dallas SDA church actually got together as a church, baked 75 loaves of fresh bread, and took that out to the neighbors around their church and gave each a steps to Christ. Well, in Spokane, we were able to do two, two events from with two, organizing it with two of the local churches. Um, the first event was visiting a nursing home, singing with the, um, the older people there. And then we also got to um, do some different games with them, read scripture to them, and just get them interacting and just um, trying to understand them and bond with them, make a connection with them, spend a little time in, in worship with them. And then our second group that the second activity that we did was really interesting um we did a food drive but after the food drive we got in touch with a total house spokane and they knew of five families that needed local 
that needed food right then. And so we, we, brought, we gathered the food, then sorted it, and then brought it directly to those families. And some of the families had five kids, you know, really poor people. And some of the families were in tears when we brought it. So it was just really, really impactful for the young people that were able to serve and, you know, the people that received the blessings too. So the day before uh, Global Youth Day, uh, some of my friends decided to have a picnic, and they invited me. And I said, wait, aren't you coming to Global Youth Day? And... <laughs> So uh, kind of felt, uh, had to redirect their plan for a picnic. And they had invited somebody who was not Seventh-day Adventist. Felt a little uncomfortable inviting her. And I was just like, Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. And this is just, we're just handing out health magazines, putting them in, on people's doors. It's not a lot of pressure. And I said, just ask her. I was, you know, pushing outside of that comfort zone like we learned today. And we actually did go out with her. And she, we handed out about 50 vibrant life and peace above the storm and also about 150 glowed and signs and vibrant life track for global youth day in cranbrook british columbia we went door to door passing out the, the book the prince of peace uh, vegetarian cookbooks for free and also offered uh, brochures for a free cooking class we'll be doing in april we only had eight participants, but God really blessed. And over just over an hour, we got 14 people signed up for resources free of charge. We also had a divine appointment in that one person said that the veget uh, vegetarian cooking class was something they had been looking for for years. It was really a blessing. Amen. So this was just a little glimpse of what can be done when young people gather together in their local area and seek to go beyond for Christ. If you want to learn a little bit about how to do that in your local area, remember small groups happens immediately after this meeting where you can network with young people from your local area to find out how you can organize and reach the communities and the people you live with. Thank you. All right, happy Sabbath. I'm going to share a little bit with you about literature evangelism, and I have the privilege of working in literature ministries here in Upper Columbia Conference, and I've been involved uh, with literature for some time now, and I have been able to see powerful experiences come from people stepping out to share their faith with others. Maybe you've had that experience, maybe you haven't, but we're going to talk about a little bit uh, about how you can get involved in sharing your faith through literature and there's two main programs that we do in Upper Columbia Conference for literature evangelism. Uh, the first one is called Youth Rush. We talked a little bit about it last night. And the second one is Glow. So we're going to share a little about each of those with you here this afternoon. And we're going to start off just by sharing uh, a story or two that came, that have come from Youth Rush here in this conference. Uh, it was uh, the last day of the summer... And a student, her name was Emily, was going door to door, and she was praying that God would use her uh, to give her an experience that she hadn't had before, a, a fresh type of experience. And as she was going uh, door to door, she knocked on a lady's door, and she came out and showed her a couple books. And when she showed her uh, the, the book called Lessons of Love, which is Christ's Object Lessons, uh, the lady opened it up and saw that it said Ellen White. And she said, oh, I love Ellen. How do you know Ellen? And she said, you know, you know I mean, that's not usually the, the typical response that you get from somebody 
you know, that you're knocking on their door. And she said, you know, once it finally clicked, she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I love reading Ellen White's books too. And, and the story unfolded a little bit, and it turns out that this lady uh, had some relatives. I think her grandma was an Adventist and had given her some books by Ellen White. She said that whenever she was having a rough time, she would always go and read uh, books that she had written and that would really encourage her in her Christian walk. And uh, as they began to talk a little bit more, she shared some more books, and uh, more of her story began to come out. It turns out that uh, she had just moved within the last week to Tri-Cities, which is about an hour from here. Uh, She had moved uh, from Oregon, and she had a couple kids, uh, but the reason that they moved was because her son had just committed suicide about a month before, and they were trying to get away uh, from all the memories that were there in Oregon, and so she moved up to Tri-Cities. And as in the course of their discussion, uh, she re- realized that it was a divine appointment and said, you know, I think God sent you here just at this time. And, you know, I, I don't know why I hadn't thought of going back to read some of those books. And she began to... Uh, really just open up and explain how God uh, sent Emily to meet her that day. And uh, it it was really a a perspective change for Emily as well because uh, she got to have that experience that she was praying for. She signed up for Bible studies, and uh, they exchanged numbers so they could keep in contact with each other. That's one of the things that that I really like about Youth Rush is you get to have awesome experiences, divine appointments, meeting people. You know, I was at a church one time, and, and uh, uh, there was a church member that had people come over for potluck, and, and they were saying, you know, these stories that, that you get, you know, you just, you just don't hear them every day. You know, it's like when, when you're a missionary, you get to hear all these stories. And, and I was just thinking, you know, the reason why you don't hear them every day is because we're not out doing stuff every day. I say we do hear them every day when we're at Youth Rush. You know, when we're out working for God and allowing Him to use us, He will give us experiences that we can praise Him for. Amen? Uh, another story, uh, I'll just share one more from Youth Rush. Uh, this came from uh, last summer. And there was a, a young man named Christian, who's actually from Walla Walla here. He was knocking on doors in Spokane. And uh, they have, in this community, there's a little uh, online forum group that people can post comments about things that are happening. So, you know, if somebody steals something out of uh, somebody's car, they can post on there, watch out for, you know, this type of person or, what, you know, this vehicle looks suspicious or whatever. And they can just share different things. So somebody got on and, and mentioned something about uh, the student coal porters that were knocking on doors in their community. And there was a bunch of different things that were posted on there. But there was one lady that uh, shared her experience. She said, you know, I had a young man come to my door. Uh, he was very pleasant. And he ended up leaving uh, the book Steps to Christ with me. It's uh, called Happiness for Life. She said, I got this little book called Happiness for Life. And I went inside, and I started reading it right away. And she said, that book was exactly what I needed. She said, I've been going through a really hard time. I've been trying to figure out, uh, you know, if, if God cares about me. And she said, uh, you know, I started reading that. She said, I couldn't put it down until I went to sleep. And she said, that was exactly what I needed. So there was actually an Adventist that lives in that community who responded to her and said, hey, can I share your story with some of the people that do this, uh, just so that they know that it's having an impact. And she responded, she said, yes, uh, you know, I'd love if you could share it with them. Uh, She said, uh, you know, that book has changed my life. She said, I've always thought of myself as a Christian, uh, but last night was different. I I woke up with a new and renewed life. Uh, Please thank him for me. Not only 
Can you get experiences like that when you work as a coal porter going door-to-door? You can also have awesome experiences just by sharing little pieces of literature, by sharing glow tracks uh, wherever you go. That's one thing that I love about literature evangelism. And as we talked about yesterday in the literature evangelism seminar, that the reason why they call it literature evangelism is because literature is the evangelist. You don't have to you know, be a preacher. You don't have to you know, know all the verses on various Bible doctrines. You can just share a tract, and it, it knows everything. It shares it in the right way, and, and it, it doesn't forget anything. So that's a, a great tool to be able to share. And this last year, we had a, a mission trip to distribute... Uh, our goal was to distribute a million glow tracks in 10 days here in Upper Columbia Conference. And we didn't quite reach our goal, but we were able to distribute about 900,000 in those 10 days uh, with the help of churches and schools and Pathfinder clubs and full-time missionaries that were distributing tracks with us as well. And some really great stories came out of that mission trip. just want to share a couple of them with you. Uh, one of them uh, came just because of the type of literature distribution that we were doing. Since we're trying to get out a million tracks in 10 days, your eyes are open for specific types of things. You're looking for every opportunity that you can to share tracks. I mean, of course, we're, we're you know, going, putting tracks on doors. We're in parking lots putting tracks on car doors because you can hit a lot at the same time. But you, you look for whatever you can to find an opportunity to share tracks. And one day, uh, there was a girl who was uh, part of our mission trip group who was distributing tracks, and uh, she heard uh, some kind of noise behind a dumpster. And so she uh, went around there and investigated a little bit, and there was a lady back there uh, who you could tell wasn't in a good situation, and she began to talk with her, and in the course of discussion, she said, you know, I've, I've never really had anybody that has ever shown that they care about me. And so she began to talk, and she shared God's love for her, and just really encouraged her in that way. And she said, uh, when they finished, she said, you know what? I've never had anybody show me Jesus before in my life. You're the first one that's ever done that for me. And, and the only reason she had that experience is because, one, she was out there distributing literature, and, and she was looking for ways that she could do it. It wasn't anything, you know, extraordinary in, in what she was doing, but God gave her uh, that experience. There was another girl uh, in our group. Uh, her name is Hasive, and she was distributing tracks uh, in a parking lot, and she left some tracks on a car door, and as she was going, uh, putting them on the, on the cars, uh, there was a, uh, she came back around and, and came to a car that she had already gone to, uh, and uh, there wasn't tracks on the door, and uh, so that's why she thought she hadn't done it. So she was putting tracks there, and she realized that there was a lady inside. And so she, uh, the lady had opened up the door and said, wait, and she was on the phone, and, and she was speaking in another language. Now, in Spokane, you know, in most of the country, the, the second uh, most prominent language is Spanish. But in Spokane, it's actually Russian. So we actually had some Russian tracks that we were distributing during this mission trip, and... As Hasive uh, was waiting there for her, it sounded like she was speaking in Russian, and so she, uh, she motioned for her to wait, and uh, you know, she got done with her phone call, and she uh, tried in the best English that she could uh, to really share, and she said, thank you for these tracks. You know, uh, she was saying that she really appreciated, it, uh, really appreciated them, and she stopped, and she pulled out like $5 and gave it to her as a thank you for the literature, even though they couldn't really communicate very much. Uh, she was very appreciative of 
what uh, she was able to read in those tracts. Um, so how can you be involved in literature evangelism? Uh, really, it's, it's not very difficult. It doesn't take much training, if any at all, uh, for you to be a literature evangelist because you can just share tracts wherever you go. Uh, in fact, as I was sharing with, with some others yesterday, uh, my great aunt, one of her favorite methods to share tracts was, uh, how many of you get junk mail? Okay, most of you. Those that didn't raise your hands are probably under the age of 18. Her favorite method was she would take credit card offers, open it up, take the return envelope, throw away the rest of it, and then use that return envelope, put a few tracks in it, and mail it back. And she said, you know, they're either going to stop sending me this junk mail or somebody's going to read these tracks. So you can be a literature evangelist without ever leaving home just by using, uh, using thinking and uh, sharing in, in ways that are not conventional. So we've had a lot of people you know, request Bible studies because they found uh, literature just in various places, even in the bathroom and rest stops, uh, different things like that. Uh, people have called in. So really, it, for you to be involved in sharing your faith, you can have awesome experiences. Now, the, the downside of, of using a less personal approach is you may have less uh, of the divine appointments because, you know, if you're just leaving them in places and nobody knows that it was you, uh, you may not. But uh, it's, it's super easy. That's one th- reason I love literature evangelism is it's so easy to share your faith because you can do it no matter what your occupation is. You don't have to go door to door. You don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. And, and it's just super easy to share your faith in, in a variety of, of different Bible topics. Let me just share one more story with you before we finish. Uh, there was, uh, during our mission trip this last year, uh, there was a girl who was going door-to-door, leaving tracks on doors, and the lady came up and said, uh, are these tracks yours? And she said, yeah, they are. Uh, she said, there was a guy that came and put these on the fence of my house, and I, and I came out, I wondered what they were, and I read it. Uh, I, I pulled it off the fence, and I read the first one, and it was called Unity Greater Than Truth. And that's the track that we have on the Reformation. She said, I was reading through that, and I was amazed at what it was saying. And so I, I was more interested in reading what, uh, what else these tracks had to say. I read through all of them that you had there, and I wanted to see if I could get more. And, and so she came, and uh, she started talking a little bit more and said, um, you know, what do you believe? What church do you go to? And she said, well, I'm, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. She said, what do you believe? And so she began to share with her uh, what the Sabbath is. And she said, you know what? I've been studying in the Bible, and I came across the Sabbath, and I've been trying to figure out why, people, why everybody goes to church on Sunday instead of on Saturday. That's what the Bible says. And, and she said, what, what else do you believe? And she began to share different Bible topics, and she shared a little bit about the state of the dead. And the lady said, you know, I've, I've been trying to find somebody that believes that. Everything that I've been finding in the Bible, I've been trying to find people that believe. And I stopped going to church because I didn't know anybody out there believed those things. She said, what's the information for your church? I want to visit your church. Now, I'm, uh, now that, that girl wasn't doing anything special, just going, walking door to door, putting tracks, not even talking to anybody, just putting tracks on people's doors. And she was able to have that experience just because she was there and available for God to send somebody and, and use her to reach them. Uh, with the hope of Bible truth. And so I just want to encourage you, as you have opportunity, take tracks with you wherever you go. Look for opportunities and ways that God can use you to reach people uh, both impersonally and personally uh, with the message of the gospel. I hope you all are still awake.
It's the curse of speaking to people after lunch, but it's a blessing to be able to look at the Word of God together. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to a passage that you looked at earlier this morning in Romans chapter 1. Dust your Bibles off, wake yourselves up and your neighbors. Romans chapter 1 verse 14 is where we're going to be starting, and this is a passage that's very familiar to many of us. Paul here is talking about the famous verses in verse 16 where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You're familiar with that passage, right? But notice back up to verse 14 very briefly. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, notice what Paul is saying. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, let me ask you a question as we pause really quickly. What does it mean that Paul was a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians? Was he financially obligated? Did he borrow some money from them that he needed to repay? Is that what he's talking about here? Why is he in debt to these people? Notice how he continues in verse 15. So much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And here's the verse that we're familiar with, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now let's unpack what Paul's saying really quick. Paul's saying, as a minister, I am indebted. My life must be devoted to God in serving others and helping them find the joy of salvation. Why? Why does he feel indebted to people? He says in verse 16, it's because he's experienced the power of God in his life already as well. You know, many people ask, how is it that we can find motivation for evangelism? And I want to tell you that motivation for evangelism doesn't come through some new method of sharing your faith that you've never heard of before, and now you'll become alive to doing the Lord's will. But what we need is a greater revelation of the love of God. When this love so fills our heart, our infatuation with sin will be broken. And our doubts and fears will be swept away. Our world may be filled with the shadows of sin, but in the light of the cross, we will see that no matter how far we have fallen, that God's grace is still deeper. And that this love is what compels us, drives us, and moves us. I remember as I started to understand what God had done for me at the age of 16 as I was surrendering my life to the Lord and thinking of all of the ways in which the Lord had forgiven me for the errors that I had made. And as I surrendered my life to God, there was a burden that was burning in my heart. How can I share my faith with those around me? And as you go through this experience, no one has to send you to a training school to show you how to share your faith, even though those things are beneficial. But there's this natural burning in your bones, as we heard about in the sermon this morning, that you want to share the blessing that you found in Jesus. But many times the question is, how can we work for the Lord in the most effective way possible to have the greatest impact? How many of you think that's a useful question? How many of you like to do things that waste your time? Anyone here? Do you like to spin your wheels and get nowhere? Do you like to spend a lot of money and energy and get absolutely no results for it? I don't think anyone in their right mind does. So as we're thinking, how can I do the most effective work for the Lord? 
The book Desire of Ages tells us that no sooner is one converted than that is born within him a desire to share what a precious friend he's found in Jesus. So each one of us have to be thinking, man, what can I do for my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers? How can I win them to the Lord? What's the most effective means that I can use? I want to encourage you to look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. If there's one soul winner greater than another, it would be that Jesus of Nazareth who was the most effective in reaching the hearts of men and women. Matthew chapter 9 I've been taking some time to read back through the Gospel of Matthew, and this caught my attention, even though it's a familiar passage that many of you have read before. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Notice verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was what? Moved with compassion for them. I want to ask you a question. When you see your neighbors, your family members, are you moved with compassion? Having a burden to do whatever it takes to make sure that they can come into the light of truth. And as Jesus is looking at them in this way, it says he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherds. Verse 35 Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is what? The harvest truly is what? Plentiful, good morning. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, work harder. Is that what it says? Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his vineyard. How many of you truly believe that the harvest is plentiful? How many of you have ever begun to doubt that maybe it isn't so plentiful? Can we have any honest individuals? How many of you look at society today and think, man, they're just ripe for the harvest of the gospel? Is that the first thing that comes to mind when you flip on the news or read about current events? I was just reminded yesterday as I was flying in and I was sitting next to a gentleman about 43 years old. He told me he lives in a 7,500 square foot home, makes a quarter of a million dollars a year, has a very successful job but he's tired of materialism and wants something better for his life. In the course of the conversation, I was telling him about the great controversy, literature evangelism. Uh, I was very terrible. I didn't have a great controversy with me, but luckily the plane had Wi-Fi, so he gets onto Amazon, buys a great controversy immediately on the flight, going to read it when he gets home. We start sharing tracks. Sunday is for football. Saturday is for church. I hope you know that. But we, we share these tracks with him, And as he's going through this, this man, 43 years old, who he's telling me, my wife's debating on going on this vacation for the next couple of weeks. It's going to cost $15,000. And I'm like, that's more than my car. You know, I mean, it's just a totally different world. And as I'm talking to him, the words of Jesus start ringing in my mind. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. At the end of that conversation, he flipped over to the back of the glow track. He said, what should I read first? I said, read the great controversy. Well, what should I do next? Well, make sure to go through the Bible studies that Glow Online offers. Well, then what do I do next? Can we get in contact? Yeah, here's my phone number, my email. Do you have Skype? Yeah, can we have Skype conversations to continue this? I'm like, yeah, you're 43 with five kids and making like way more money than I ever will. But those things in all reality mean nothing without Jesus. And my friends, as we're looking at the world today, Jesus says the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. My friends, the problem is with the laborers, not with the harvest. 
And the reason why we don't see groves of people coming in like Pentecost today is not because the people aren't willing, but it's because of the unwillingness of the laborers. Now, getting back on track. Sorry for the rant. I'm a pastor. I have to remind you that it's our duty to reach souls. Notice what Jesus says. When he says the harvest truly is plentiful, and you think of Jesus standing there, but the laborers are few. Just a few verses he had said he was moved with compassion as he was looking at these individuals and thinking, how can he reach them? And the thing that strikes me is when Jesus sees the great need of the world, he realizes that he can't reach them all by himself. Have you ever stopped to think about that? I mean, he's Jesus. This same Jesus can take a lunch basket and feed 5,000 people. This same Jesus can raise people from the dead. But when Jesus comes to the point of how do I reach the world, he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, then what do we do, Jesus? Jesus, you'd better get a, a different program, start a new initiative from the conference, you know, do something that makes this happen. And he says, no, we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. My friends, there's many of you who have a similar desire as Jesus. You want to do something for the Lord. I believe that's probably why you're sitting here this afternoon. Is that correct? Am I understanding that you have a desire to say, how can I serve God with my heart and my life? Oftentimes, when we have a burden to serve others, we can think that we can do it on our own. But Jesus brings home the point that it takes multiple people to win souls. You're not an island, and we can't do it by ourselves. Now, why does this matter in the context of how can we do evangelism the most effectively? We're living in a time where God has blessed us with a church that's been raised up with a mission to take a prophetic message to the world. Do you believe that? As a Seventh-day Adventist movement, God has entrusted to us the, the job to save souls. And notice what this passage says. Acts of the Apostles Page 9, paragraph 1. This is the very first opening sentence of Acts of the Apostles. It says, The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for, what do you think it is? For service. And its mission is to carry the gospel to the what? Well, my friends, as Jesus is looking down on this earth, and he's moved with compassion just as much or more as when he was on this earth physically. And he sees the need of men and women, and he says, Lord, what can I, how do I reach these people? Jesus says, I've raised up a church that they have one job. The church was organized for what? Service. And its mission is to take the gospel to the world. My friends, I get very nervous when I hear people talking about they're irritated at their church. How many of you have wrote, realized that the church is not perfect? Anyone in here? I'm a local church pastor in Michigan. Um, my church members would tell you the same thing, and they would tell you the same thing about their pastor. That the church has issues. But as we're looking at the salvation of souls, this is not the time to start separating ourselves from God's movement. But as we see the need of souls around us, we should be burdened with the same burden that Jesus had. And it's the harvest is plentiful, and I can't do it on my own. I need a group of believers that can help take the gospel to the world. Do you agree with that? My friends, I would encourage you to be locally active in your local church. 
If you think your local church is dead, guess whose obligation it is to revive it? If you think that prayer meeting is boring, why don't you start attending and try to help make it exciting? If you think that Sabbath school has a terrible teacher, well, why don't you at least comment a couple things that will make it exciting? You know, as we see the need in our local church, why don't we help? And as we see the need in our community, why don't we take those from our church and help to minister and reach the people with the gospel? Do you think this is a good idea? My friends, I think this is God's plan for evangelism. I don't have the quote here, but we're told in Spirit of Prophecy that until the laity and the clergy unite, the work of God on earth will never be finished. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stay here for another hundred years. I would like my daughter to not be raised here, but in the new Jerusalem. We would like to see Jesus come, but it's not going to happen until you and I have the same burden that Jesus had, have the same burden that was within Paul, and have the same ability to finish the work like Jesus did by grouping together with his church. Now, just in closing this segment, I want to share three reasons why working with the church is important. Have any of you ever found frustration in working with another human being? Just take it outside of the church context. Any of you ever had a job? Any of you just have a family? I mean, I mean, you just, you go, how minutely do you want to zoom in real quick? Anyone ever find frustration in working with an individual? Is it best to just be so frustrated and leave or work through the issues? Can you imagine what Jesus went through with those 12 disciples? I mean, I, I just read through the gospel and Jesus is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then the, they're like, hey, no, no, I'm better than you and you're better than me. And, 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 and it's like, what in the world? Do you not get this? And Jesus says, you know, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and be lifted up. And then Luke chapter 9, they begins to dispute amongst them of who's greater. And Jesus asks them, what are you talking about? Oh, nothing, you know. How is God going to work? Jesus was frustrated with his church as well. But three reasons why the church matters and is important. And this is just three of many we could pick. Number one, we need encouragement in our missionary efforts. Have any of you ever tried to reach out to a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a stranger, and ever been rejected as you were trying to share the gospel with them? Anyone ever had that experience? Or even just afraid of it, so that's why you don't do it? You know, we, we have this fear of rejection and fear of failure. Do you think the New Testament church understood what that was like? I was just rereading through Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the early Christian believers are commanded to not preach the gospel anymore. So what do they do? Well, they don't just run away. They don't go back to their own homes and sob and cry. But no, what do they do? As a church, they come together to encourage one another in the faith. If you want to read this passage, it's Acts chapter 4 verse 29. And you can read through the experience of the believers when they're discouraged in their efforts to reaching souls. They come together as a church and plead that the Lord will give them boldness. My friends, do we need the church? Yes. If, it, if we don't have the church, I don't know about you, there have been so many times where I've been discouraged and have no desire to ever share my faith again. But it's when someone comes and shares a passage of scripture with me or a quote or their own experience and I feel renewed to go back out. And you realize that this is why God has given us the church, to encourage one another, as Hebrews chapter 10 talks about. Number two, why do we need the church in connection with evangelism? How many of you have ever had the challenge of meeting someone that you're not going to see again, and you want to encourage them in their faith? For example, the guy that I met on the plane yesterday. I meet this gentleman, I want him to continue to walk with the Lord, 
But the blessing of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is that even when you're absent, there's other brothers and sisters in that location who can help minister to those people. Do you agree with that? The blessing of the church is that we all work together as a collective whole for the work of God. That was a free one. Point number two in all reality now is that when we work for souls, we realize that a soul, when it's led to God, Acts chapter 2, when the people are convicted in their hearts that they must be saved, what does uh, Peter tell them to do? Repent and be what? Baptized. Now, okay. Repent and be baptized. Now, what was the process after baptism? Where did those people go according to Acts chapter 2, verse 42? It says that those who were baptized were what? Added to them. Who's the them? The early New Testament church. My friends, if we want to be a lone island, number one, we're rejecting the counsel of Jesus, and number two, we're working in the least effective manner possible. But if we want to accept Jesus' method of uniting with our church in the local area, it encourages us in our own personal mission. It also helps us to lead people to a church once they've made a decision for the Lord. And number three, as we see in Acts chapter 2, it provides discipleship for those new members to walk closely with their Savior. My friends, my burden for our church today is that we wouldn't become so frustrated with little details of carpet colors and paint colors. And you might laugh and think that's just a joke. I've literally seen it in our own local churches Or we become so frustrated over differences that we forget the mission that God has entrusted to us. But my burden is that we will have the same burden that was in Jesus' heart when he looks at the people and says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, help me be a laborer, and I pray that there will be more raised up around me. In closing, notice what Jesus says. Acts chapter. uh, This is Acts of the Apostles, page 20. Talking about the disciples, it says, In these first disciples was presented marked diversity. They were to be the world's teachers, and they represented a widely varied type of character. In order successfully to carry forward the work which they had been called, these men, differing in natural characteristics and habit of life, needed to come into a unity of feeling, thought, and action. This unity was Christ's object to secure. And to this end, he sought to bring them into unity with himself. My friends, as we're seeing the times that we're living in, this is not the time to become fracturing our church and to divide it. But it's time for us to take action in our local church and see what God can do as we partner together with him in the work of saving souls. Thank you for that challenge, Brother Taylor. That was a blessing. I'm Ted Everett. I'm the camp director at Young Disciple Youth Bible Camp. And it's been such a blessing to to me to be here today because I feel like I can't turn any direction without seeing somebody I know. And it's been like a a big reunion. And so uh, thank you for making me feel welcome as I came uh, to fellowship here today. GYC has, has been an amazing blessing. I wanted to be here the whole convention, but because of a situation I couldn't change, I wasn't able to be here the whole time. And just to to remind you of how Satan works sometimes, um, I know that he doesn't want any of us to be here today. 
And I can tell you for sure that he didn't want us here today. We didn't almost die on the way down. But it was amazing. We, I decided to come this morning as, as early as possible because I knew I needed to be here right now for this time. And so this morning at 6.15 a.m., I packed my car full of my kids and nieces and nephews, and we headed out because we live four hours away. And so as we were loading up the car, snow was coming down. There was snow everywhere. And, we thought, well, we thought it was spring. Well, we were done with the snow. I took my winter tires off already. Uh, but, no, there, there was the beautiful snow, and we were thankful for it. Uh, but as we headed over to get the ferry, which is the fastest way, the Inchiline Free Ferry, to get here, that's the fastest way, we got to the ferry landing, the launch, the ramp there. If any of you have been up to Inchiline, you know about that. And it was closed. And we made it just on time. And somebody came up and said, oh, there was an accident. Somebody's brakes went out, and they rammed into the ferry uh, ramp, and damage the ferry. The ferry is going to be closed for hours while we repair it. And I was sorely tempted to just go back home. <laughs> but I didn't. And we went the long way. And a four-hour trip became a five-and-a-half-hour trip. And instead of being here for Sabbath school, we got the appeal for church. But praise God, it was a wonderful appeal. And so, no, I know... The devil doesn't want us to be here, but there are blessings, and I'm so glad that we persevered and were able to be here and be part of this. I'm actually here today to tell you a little bit about perhaps a next step for GYC, for the young people here. I'm talking to you, because I'm also involved with an organization called ASI. ASI is Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. And ASI is kind of like a next step. I kind of see like Young Disciple Camp and then GYC and then ASI. Because ASI loves GYC. I don't know if you even know who ASI is. But ASI has always supported morally and financially GYC. ASI is a very unique organization that has changed a little bit over the years. It started out years ago, and I just want to give you a slight bit of history here. It's rooted in Madison College. How many of you heard of, have heard of Madison College? There's even books on it. There's stories. There's, there's quite a rich heritage there. Well, ASI started it at Madison College, basically, in 1904, where Sutherland and McGann were working, and... It expanded as satellite institutions began popping up all over the country. And they felt a need to be able to get together, to share ideas. How can we work together to support each other, to learn from other mistakes and from the things that have worked well with other institutions? And so they got together and they formed ASI, which at the time meant Association for Seventh-day Adventist Self-Supporting Institutions. However, over the years, ASI broadened its scope and began to include businesses and entrepreneurs and professionals. And so that's when the name changed to Layman's Services, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries, which is what is called today. ASI's philosophy 
is to promote a Christ-centered lifestyle manifested by commitment to be in daily partnership with God. ASI members seek to experience God's love in their own lives and to share that love with the people they encounter in their everyday work and activities, whether it's a ministry, whether it's a business, whether it's as a student. And that's ASI's motto, actually, is sharing Christ in the marketplace. ASI is committed to supporting Seventh-day Adventist Church and various outreach programs, such as health, education, evangelism, community services, family concerns, special projects. And this unique and diverse group of members ranges from business owners to individual professionals to supporting ministries. ASI members are Adventists from every walk of life. And I just wanted you to know what ASI is so that I can then invite you to be a part of it. Because there's kind of this, and I'm past that, unfortunately, there's this kind of cutoff for, for GYC, right? You start paying higher fees, and I don't know about the local one, but especially for, uh, for GYC National. And we kind of launch from one point to the next. What do you do when you're a student and then maybe a professional or working in ministry? Where can you still get the kind of blessings and benefits that you're receiving here today? Well, ASI has a lot of opportunities for that, and I've been asked to share those with you. And um, just real briefly, what are those? Mentorship. I have been really tremendously blessed by the friends that I have made. I have been able to rub shoulders with church leaders, with ministry leaders, with business people at ASI who have become lifelong friends. People that I can just call up and say, what do you do when this happens? Or have you ever thought about this? And we have that dynamic relationship back and forth. Um, ASI has opportunities for learning about ministry, whether you're doing ministry through a business or through an actual nonprofit organization. And if you're interested in health ministry, you're going to find somebody who is doing that and has some wisdom they can share. Maybe you have a suggestion for some amazing new witnessing plan. At ASI, you'll find someone you can share that with and maybe you can work together to accomplish that. And I just have to say there's no end of blessings that I have received as a result. And if you ever, if you get the opportunity, please check out ASI and find out how it can help you find your best way of reaching others for Christ. Whether it's here at home, whether it's somewhere else in the United States or overseas. ASI is going to be having a regional con conference, very much like this is a regional GYC conference, uh, this year, this summer, I'm sorry, this spring rather, in April, April 19, the weekend of April 20. It's going to be in Everett, Washington, and associated with it is going to be an Amen Clinic. So it's going to be Amen Clinic and ASI Convention together in Everett. If you are a medical professional... Maybe you're uh, especially, they're looking for, especially looking for dentists and hygienists to volunteer for the Amen Clinic. 
or if you just have an interest in ministry and would like to be part of one of these, if you've heard about the clinics, the free clinics that have gone, gone on, you're looking for an opportunity to share in that capacity as a medical professional or as another type of volunteer, that's an opportunity for you to be able to share. And you can go to asiministries.org, click on the Northwest section to find out more about that, or go to Everett, uh, amenevert.org. And um, hope to see some of you there. Thank you. Good morning, or at least according to Taylor. <laughs> Good afternoon. I'm Jason Worf, and uh, I was really encouraged by these stories. Have you been? The stories of uh, the Global Youth Day. Uh, it's just so much fun to see that this is not the only church in the Northwest. Uh, sometimes uh, you just kind of have your own experience, and you don't see all the things that are going on. And so thank you for sharing those stories. Thank you for the, the stories of literature evangelism. It's amazing to see God working through young people, angels going with them to accomplish God's work. And those seeds of truth, those little evangelists that we leave everywhere, it's exciting to hear. So thank you for that. And, and your story, Taylor, the, the guy on the airplane, uh, I know those don't come every time we fly, but it's so exciting when God puts us right beside that person that he's intended for us to talk to. So I'm Jason. I'm a pastor here at the Village Church. And I, I have, a, well, I, I should just tell you, as a teenager, I started to become more interested in, in God. I, I went to an evangelistic series, and then I started helping with evangelistic series. And uh, then I went to be a literature evangelist one summer, and I got hooked and couldn't stop for 20 years. Um, I, I was a... I went to a Bible school, Bible college, up in Maryland, and uh, afterwards I was a Bible worker in New York City. That was fun. Uh, my partner and I got stopped by a, a Hispanic gang. They were wondering what we were doing in their hood. We worked in East Harlem, and that was a lot of fun. Um, honestly, the, the personal one-on-one -on -one evangelism, it's in my blood. It's what I, I live for. It's, it's exciting to me, and, and I closely identify with my teenage self who heard the voice of God saying, will you go for me? Sometimes I listen to, as people talk about young people. And it's, you know, anybody. Uh, I, I'm, I still feel like I'm a young person, but I was recently in a, uh, a meeting with a bunch of young adults. And we were talking about different things, and every time I'd talk, and it, it would be appropriate, I would, I would use that personal pronoun, we, you know, that inclusive we, like, like you know, this group, us. And, they, and one of them finally turned to me and said, Jason, why do you keep saying we? You are not a young adult. And I, I was a little bit hurt, and, um, and then a little bit ashamed, um, and then I thought, well, yeah, technically, I guess young adult is like no kids in under 30, and I have kids, and I'm well over 30, so that's a new, that was a new thought to me. Anyway, but I hear people talking about young people, and, and they have different thoughts. You know, some of them bemoan the, the, the fact that young people are leaving the church, and, and some of them wag their heads at those newfangled ideas and, and strange social norms and, and new technology and, and all those things that they see. And then there's some that uh, they, they say things like this. They're, they're very positive. 
Uh, They look at young people and they say, look, there's the future leaders and ministers and missionaries of our church. Now, not being a young adult anymore, um, (laughs) I'm recognizing that things are different now. I am not the same as, as some of you. Some of the social norms you're used to, I don't connect with, and I kind of wag my head sometimes. And, and I kind of bemoan the fact that people, uh, young people are, are losing their faith and, and leaving God, leaving the church. And that's dis- disturbing and frustrating for me. Um, and as, especially as a pastor, I really care about young people staying connected with God and their spiritual experience. But, but it's really the last one, the one that says that you're the future of our church, that I just can't agree with at all. Period. First of all, for one reason, I can't agree with it um, because, well, it, it suggests that in order to be, I guess, fit for God's service, you've got to be older. It's sometime in the future. I don't think that's a good idea. You look to the future and you'll forget about the present and, you know, you never accomplish anything. That's, that's not where God intends us to be. But the other reason is because it, it puts a special emphasis on professional ministries. It's the pastor, the minister, right? Uh, it's the, the professional paid missionary. It's the leader, the president, the secretary, the treasurer, whatever, the, the teacher. And, and it totally discounts the non-paid, non-professional gospel work that God is asking all of us to participate in. And I don't think that's a healthy way of looking at, at life in general. Um, God is asking you, and he has a place for you to play a part in his work right now. He wants us to take the gospel to the world. But he doesn't want us to wait until we have the capabilities or the training or the experience or, or the age to be able to do it in those maybe formal ways that people recognize as ministry roles. Hmm. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus tells a, a group of disciples, people that are closely connected with him, have been hanging out with him for a while. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is Jesus' command. And among those that were hanging out in a small little group, I don't know, a hundred or so people were there, so maybe not all that small, but, but oh, those that were hanging out in the group as he said this command uh, was a teenager, a guy named John. Now maybe you think of him as an, an, an old patriarch who on the Isle of Patmos wrote the, the book of Revelation, and certainly he did become that. Maybe you think of him as the pastor um, that, uh, that hung out in Ephesus, and certainly he did that. But, uh, but now, right at this moment, he's a young man, maybe 18, 19, 20, 21. He, he's, not, uh, he's not a mature, experienced, you know, older person. And God tells John to go to the, all the world and take the gospel and preach and teach and baptize in the book of Education, Ellen White has this beautiful paragraph. She's talking to young people as they're making critical decisions. And, and I just want to say, it sometimes doesn't make sense to me that God placed so much responsibility on young people to make decisions that impact their future so dramatically, and yet he hasn't developed our minds completely to make some of those critical decisions until we're in our mid-20s. By then, we've made them, the decisions, right? 
it's really good to have a, a good group of older people around to bounce ideas off of and, and to really to say, am I going the right direction? I'm saying this because your parents and, and, and elders are sitting in with you, right? Um, so I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to include them and make them feel like they're part of your life. But, but it's, um, it, this is a statement she's making. Ellen White's talking to these, uh, these young people. And, and she says, when you're thinking about the life work, what God wants you to do, where he wants you to go with your life, think about this. It's uh, the book Education, page 271. The great day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes. She used the uh, authorized version. That was the New Living Translation. I just want you to get the idea. It's happening now. This is not a sometime way in the future. Today is the important part. Swiftly it comes. And Ellen White adds, and a world is to be warned. There's a work to do. There's something God has put in front of us. With such preparation as they can gain, thousands upon thousands of our, the youth and those older in years should be giving themselves to this work. There is no line of work in which it is possible for the youth to receive greater benefit. All who engage in ministry are God's helping hand. With such an army of workers as our youth rightly trained might furnish, how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon might the end come? the end of suffering and sorrow and sin. I thought it might be inspiring to mention some young people who, is, who rose to greatness. Young people in the Bible that made it a huge impact on the world. I mean, think of 17-year-old Joseph. He remained faithful to God in spite of the abuse from his brothers being sold as a slave. He continued to serve God in a pagan country mixed in amidst an ungodly culture, and, and he went on to become the prime minister of Egypt. This is a, a young man who became great, did amazing things for God's kingdom. Maybe uh, you might remember the preteen Samuel as he lay there in the temple, diligently doing the work that he had been given, but, but now asleep, and he literally hears the audible voice of God saying, Samuel, Samuel. And as he finally recognized because some of us haven't yet recognized the voice of God. But when he finally recognized that God was speaking to him, he said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God told him things that he needed to share with the rest of the Israel. He became a prophet and one of the most significant spiritual leaders since the time of Moses. If you don't know already, Samuel, he established an educational system in Israel that developed spiritual leaders. He, he, Started a Bible school. Well, actually, a, a network of Bible schools. Um, so I, I kind of feel an affinity for, for Samuel because of my experience in a Bible college. Uh, you might remember a young teenager named Daniel. Not Daniel. David. <clears throat> Daniel's another one. But uh, next one. David, uh, he was a young man, and he took a sling and uh, his little pouch and some, uh, some stones, which, from what I understand, were... Uh, maybe a couple pounds. They weren't small things. Um, they find them all over the place in that area of the country. Um, apparently, they were a really effective tool um, because you didn't have to stand really close, and uh, they did uh, a fair amount of damage. So he took what he knew as a shepherd, and he used it for God, and great bravery. He won that battle, and he went on to become the king. And, and he wrote stuff, and, and uh, he was a prophet as well. Uh, David made a big impact on God's kingdom. 
There's another teenager named Daniel, and you know him as the, the lion's den guy, but uh, he's also the young man who was abducted and made a prisoner of war and forced to serve as a slave, made into a, a eunuch. Um, terrible things happened to this guy, uh, but, but he stayed faithful to God, and as a result, he becomes prime minister of all of Babylon, and he also he, he outlasts several kings, uh, which is kind of unusual, and he, he also becomes a prophet, and God tells him visions of the future. Um, these guys are inspiring, aren't they? When you look at them, you're like, oh, I'd like to be a David. I'd like to be a Daniel. Make me a Samuel, Lord. Couldn't I just be a Joseph? Right? We have those, those thoughts. Um, I could also mention Ruth and, and others in, in this uh, list of inspiring people. They humbly gave themselves to God. They gave the best of their youth to God, and God did something great with it. And I think that's a model that we can all look at. The formula I see, kind of the winning formula, is pretty simple. Give God, well, surrender your, your life to God and, and be diligent with the things he's given you already. Give God your best. And then, don't stress about the future. Let God worry about the future. You know, Joseph, he's in a prison, he's not stressing, he's just doing diligently what he has to do. And God makes him a prime minister. Joseph was not angling for the job. He was not in the political arena. He wasn't there trying to, you know, uh, lobby his way in. That, that wasn't Joseph's responsibility. That was God's, right? Daniel, he did faithfully what he, ha- what he had to do. And uh, God said, uh, I'd like you to be prime minister. I'll make things work out, right? David, he was given the opportunity to cut off the head of the guy who was uh, standing in his way of becoming king. And, and he knew that people would have made him king. But he didn't. He said, no, far be it for me to harm the Lord's anointed. I'll let God be responsible for my future. Um, Daniel, same, uh, uh, Samuel, same thing. He wasn't trying to be the head of the nation. He was just being a simple guy, serving God in the, the, the sanctuary. So uh, don't stress about your future. Do diligently what God's put in front of you. I think that's a good formula. But at, as, at the same time, I look at these guys and I say, oh, there's something, I don't know, Something difficult to, to wrap my mind around. Because maybe, maybe you're not like me at all, but um, I feel like I'm a little bit half-baked. You know, not quite prepared. Not, not uh, all that maybe I, I should be. Um, I'm underqualified. I, I'm just an ordinary guy, to be honest. I don't know if you feel similar. Maybe you feel like you've uh, got it all together and you're ready uh, to go and you're just in line to be the next prophet of the church, right? Maybe, maybe that's you. If so, another sermon might be appropriate for you. But uh, for the rest of you, um, you, you're maybe with me and, and you're saying that, that these guys that we put on a pedestal, that the guys that have accomplished great things, I, I'm not going to be a king and I'm probably not going to get visions of the future. And, and so can God use me? Can God call me? Can I be effective? Maybe, maybe you look at Taj and, uh, and you, you put him on a pedestal a little bit. He's a great speaker. Look what he's done. I wasn't there giving Bible studies every day and, and, and six people get baptized in my high school. Um, you know, that, that just, or maybe I tried and nobody got baptized. You know, it, it is, I, it's not working for me. Like, it seems like it's working for David Asherick or for, you know, these, these shining lights in the, in the church community, these leaders. And so is God calling me? Can he use me? Well, I'd like to, to share a couple stories with you, uh, brief ones that you are very familiar with. People that didn't even have a name in the Bible 
ordinary people. And in fact, we don't honestly know the impact of the gift that they gave God. The first story is the story of a simple servant girl, a girl who was taken into captivity and she worked for a pagan couple. Um, Naaman was her master. And when he got sick with uh, the uh, leprosy, she said, you should go to Elisha and Elisha can heal you. And that simple suggestion uh, caused him to go uh, to be healed. You know, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. He ends up uh, coming back to his country. And really, that's all we know. The story takes a left turn and talks about Elisha's servant and never comes back to Naaman. We don't know anything more about the servant girl. We don't know what might have happened. Um, and we can't really dig into those stories to find out more. We really won't know the impact that little girl made until heaven. And yet somehow, God saw it significant enough to put it in the Bible. Maybe he was talking to you and, uh, and me, the ordinary people. Maybe he was saying, you might not be a Daniel, but I still want you. There was a young man, all he had was, you know, some fish, some bread. It was his lunch pail, and he brought it, and he was hanging out with Jesus and around Jesus' disciples, and somehow it happened that he, it was found out that he had this lunch pail, and Andrew brings him to Jesus, and Jesus, you know, he takes his lunch. The kid gives him his lunch. I don't know how old this young boy was. We don't know anything about him. All we know is that he gave Jesus his lunch. And as a result, Jesus took that lunch and he fed 5,000 people. Was the young man the one that made the big impact? No. The young man did a simple thing. And yet God took that and multiplied it. And I think that's a message that you and I should resonate with. We should take that and, and cling to that idea that we can give God the simple things that we have and that we are. Our unbaked, unprepared, underqualified, ordinary selves can make a huge impact for our kingdom, for God's kingdom, because it's not our work and it's not our effort that makes the difference. It's God's power. God is the one that's working. And he can take me and use me with as much power as he could have used Daniel. Because it's his power. It's not me. I can be ordinary. I kind of think Daniel was. Joseph, probably ordinary. Just diligent, normal people. But God took them and made a huge impact in his time, in his way. And whether, you know, th this message of beyond, the, the idea that ASI Northwest is, uh, is trying to communicate, is that God can use you right here, right now, with all of your unfinishedness and unpreparedness. You should get some training. There's nothing insignificant about that. The, the message that Ellen White had about the, the army of young people, it had this qualification in there, that little phrase, rightly trained. There, there's a, a statement she makes in another place that says that one who goes out trained and prepared and surrendered for the work will accomplish more than 10 who go out deficient in knowledge and weak in the faith. So it's important to be trained. I don't want to undermine that at all. Uh, but uh, don't fall into the limited kid box that some people want to put you in. That's always looking to the future. Someday you'll be useful. Someday you'll be prepared. Someday never comes. In 1 Timothy 4, 11 and 12, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. Timothy's a pastor. He's in that spot, but he's a young person. And he says, don't let anybody despise your youth. Don't let anybody walk on you and say, 
uh, you're the future of the church. You can confidently, politely, and humbly say, thank you so much for that encouragement. I'm also the present of the church. (laughs) I'm here right now, just like you are. Today, today, today is the day that God is calling you. Not just the metaphorical today of, you know, the present, but the right now of here and sitting in this pew. Today, God is calling you. He's calling you to do the simplest things. Joseph was what? Sweeping the jail cells? How great of a spiritual leadership role was that? Samuel, maybe he's polishing the silver... Goldware um, in the in the temple. I don't know what what Samuel's job was, but but it wasn't anything great. It's menial tasks that a young kid's going to do in that in the sanctuary at that time. Give God the simplest things. Be diligent in the obvious things that God has put right in front of you. He's calling you to give Him the biggest uh, parts of you, your whole self, your future, all your dreams. He's calling you to dream big for his kingdom, too. I'm talking about the, the big dreams that God has, um, the, the, the ones that people kind of say, I don't know if that'll ever work out, or, um, you know, the church isn't ready for that, or, you know, all those kinds of things. Those are probably the ones that God is asking you to dream. He's asking you to break through the barriers that all the, the, the older folks have been beating their heads against, and he's asking you to be the one that takes his message to the world. So he's asking you to do the simplest things first, but he maybe, you know, like, like Taj said, there's a, there's a Spain out there, some place that God is asking you to dream big about. And, and whether you become one of those great heroes that gets written up in the, the book of, of, I don't know, uh, what, what, the Review and Herald or something like that, that everybody knows your name and everybody thinks that you're some fantastic, smart, spiritual leader, or or maybe you just become a no-name participant in the gospel work, in this great plan of salvation. That just doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what your reputation becomes. What matters is that God is asking you to draw up close to him and, and to live your life entirely for his glory. What matters is that Jesus needs a lunch, and you've got one to share. And the metaphorical lunch, whatever that might be, if Jesus needs it, then you've got something for him. And, and you can give that lunch to him. What matters is that when somebody defies the living God, you can be his advocate. What matters is that when God whispers into your ear, you'll be listening and you'll say, here I am. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And what matters is that when you face unbeatable odds, when you're down and out, you still refuse to dishonor God. Those, those character things, you can be that no matter your age. You can have those, that diligence and strength of character. I'm not saying that you shouldn't look forward to the future. Your future is going to be fantastic. It's going to be filled with joy and possibility and hope and wonderful things. And you're going to be pastors and ministers and, and, and uh, teachers and, and missionaries and leaders and all of those things. I'm sure that those things are going to happen in, in many of your lives. But don't spend your days ignoring the present with some suggested hope of the future. Recognize that God has called you now. Don't wait for somebody else to call you. When God has called you, that's sufficient. Begin to do what God has put in front of you. Others will see it eventually. Don't worry about that. Um, it's, it's not really important. Uh, it's important that God calls you and that you say yes.
Let him worry about whether or not your future will be written in the history of Christianity and celebrated by men or simply recorded in heaven and praised by God. Let God worry about that. Let God worry about your reputation, your income, your upward mobility. Start today with surrender. Give God all that you have. Listen to his voice and be willing to take the simple next step. Maybe for you that's saying, uh, I need to talk to that Robert Kareni guy because I think that a good next step is going to be for me to be a, a literature evangelist. Or maybe that's to, to, to talk to Ted Everett and say, I'd, I'd really like to connect with you know, something that will help me to, to step out in ministry. Can I be part of ASI? I, I don't know what the next step for you is. Maybe it's just to take uh, a simple thought that you had from God this morning and share it with the person sitting next to you and not, not keep it to yourself. God asks us to do simple things. And whatever that simple thing in front of you is, give it to God and say, I'm here. I'll do that. And then he'll take you to the next step and to the next and to the next. Joshua, he's an 80-year-old man, and he is standing in front of the people having lots of experience. And uh, he was a young man at one point, but he's developed now. And he says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom else you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I hope that, that uh, when you get to be that old woman or old man, you'll be standing in heaven. Um, <laughs> that's my hope. But, but I, I hope that you'll be able to look back and, and, and look around and say, you know what? Whatever anybody else says, I've got history with this God and I'm going to serve him. Choose today. Who will you serve? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.